I'm Howard Hale, and thanks for joining me for today's edition of the Horseman's Corner. Only one guest today, and let's get right into it. Our guest on the program today is California horsewoman and clinician Sharon Camarillo. Sharon, good to talk to you. How are you today? Howard, it's always an honor to to be with you. Uh, how many years have you been doing this show? No, this program, I don't know, about 25 years. You lose track of time when you're having fun. Well, that's amazing, and I mean, you're you're such a multifaceted host in the fact that you're a farmer, am I right? You're a horseman in your own right? I that's mean, correct. My word, I, I don't know how you <laughs> how you put it all together. Maybe I don't have it together, but anyway, <laughs> we're doing, whether I have it together or not, we're doing this interview. Hey, what I want to know is... Are you back on your full schedule of uh, clinics with the COVID virus last year? That kind of fouled things up, but how are things looking for this year? Well, I you know, have to say I'm one of the few people who really feel like I've thrived through COVID. And the fact that you know our lifestyles and our listeners' lifestyles are such that things, a lot of things don't change. We still have animals to feed, property to care for. So, you know, our agenda for the day starts out whether there's COVID or not. So, but what I have thoroughly enjoyed is my solitary confinement. Uh, last year, uh, up until last year, my, um, my, my job is I book 25 uh, destinations, and that's horse fairs, and, it's, uh, and each destination usually... Uh, is either a horse three or four day horse fair with demonstrations, or it's clinics and uh, there are two two day programs, and we have uh, um, a level two program that we do and a one day program. So uh, when I fly out, you know, to pay the bills, which you know, United Airlines doesn't fly me free, so it really takes four days to cover the expenses. So I'm I'm talking 25 destinations. So. Uh, last year, 2020, we started our program in February, and uh, then nine clinics canceled, nine destinations, and then we started back in June. And I so enjoyed having my own schedule. I mean, I'm busy from morning till night, but it's on my terms. So this year, I said, I'm only booking 10 destinations. So I booked those 10 destinations, and unfortunately, we've had two counties cancel on us. So we have eight destinations, and a life is good, Howard. It really is. We we do a great program. Donna Irvin works with me, and my daughter Stormy Camarillo works with me. So at any given clinic, there's two of us, uh, four eyes on the riders, and we limit our clinics to 12 riders. If it's a one-day program, we only take eight. So it's pretty comprehensive, and I have to say, I, I really think that we offer the most comprehensive program with the most amount of success as any clinician going. So thank you for letting me toot my horn just a little bit. Is it just barrel racers that you work with, Sharon? Well, you know, I fess up. In, as, a, as a younger, more uh-huh. um, opinionated, I guess, horsewoman, and a competitor at the same time, I was pretty adamant about, look, why are you doing this? Get your, get your mind in the game. Let's pay attention. Let's make 
everything we do better. Every time you get off a horse, he needs to be just 1% better than he was when you got on him. And, and that's still the philosophy, but I think I'm a much kinder, gentler, and uh, I'm full disclosure. You know, I tell the girls the second day of the clinic, I just, I can't carry this lie with me when I fess up with my students that what I'm really teaching you is not necessarily barrel racing, but the skills necessary to perform consistent and efficient performance. So when we break down what we call better barrel racing, the art of barrel racing, it's the approach, the rate, the turn, and then going just one step further, the approach is nothing more than training your eye, uh, using your seat, your legs, and your hands to ride your horse straight to those points. And But what that takes, and, you know, I've had great horsemen uh, say the most difficult thing that you can do on a horse are straight lines and perfect circles. And a straight line, you know, it takes the horses driving from the hind end through the shoulder forward, it takes you knowing where the shoulders are, where the rib cage, where the hip is, nice connection to the horse's face, and good body position. So balanced performance is going to take a balanced rider. So we teach that, that the, the uh, art, the approach, and the rate is probably one of the most overlooked part of barrel racing or training is the ability to lengthen and shorten a horse's stride whether it's from a posting extended trot to a collected sitting trot, whether it's from a, a, a gallop back to a, a slower gallop or canter, uh, the ability to send your horse out and bring him back on an understandable term. So, And then the third part is it's not just running up in the vicinity of three barrels and pulling the horse's nose and hoping he gets around a barrel. It's precisely placing and driving and riding and balancing a horse through each turn. And that's, that's what we want. You know, we want to be able to duplicate our good runs, but we have to get our mind in the game, which I say shape up, get your mind in the game. It's not just on your cell phone and hope your horse works. So, you know, that's what it's all about. And if a rider came to our program that really wasn't interested in barrel racing, which we have probably two or three each clinic, you know, we teach them the diagonals and leads and forward and the ability to lengthen, shorten, and to plan their ride. Okay, Sharon, talk about some of the factors that are involved there. Oh, man, you know, you just you picked up a big Easter basket full of um, confusion in a way. I mean, you know, to ha- keep a horse sound, it really takes good nutrition conditioning, a good um, training program, and tuning program. Just because your horse is 8 or 10 or 18 doesn't mean that during the week you don't need to bring him back, rebalance him, resensitize him, correct any problems that you might be having. And I always say a horse really never comes to his own until he's at least 7 years old. So these young horses, you know, it's just managing those horses through that seasoning stage because that's so critical. Um, but it, it does, it takes a, you know, a balanced rider creates a balanced horse, and if the rider is out of shape, if the rider is out of balance, if the rider doesn't know how to uh, systematically use cues to get the results that they think they want, we have a problem. And then the second part of that 
is equipment. There's so many things that goes into all the things we do. Sometimes I just go, oh, my God, no wonder horsemanship is a lifelong commitment. Because, um, oh, I don't know, three or four years ago I had this aha moment on the cinch. I had a horse, I have had horses that are cinchy. You know, you go to cinch them up, they have an opinion, reach back. Some of them even nip you. And I thought maybe it was because that I always like a mohair cinch. Well, mohair cinches most of the time come with a, a D-ring that rests right on that horse's rib versus some of the smart, smart cinches today that have a padding behind that ring. And there's not much fat on that horse's rib, so you have a piece of metal D-ring cinched down tight right against the horse's rib, and they get sensitive. So I, I had this mare, and I thought, well, maybe she's allergic to the mohair. So I changed cinches, and the cinch that I put on accidentally was a fleece cinch, and, it, and, and she quit doing that. And so I thought, oh, man, you know, that, that mohair has been a problem. Well, it's not the mohair. It's the fact that the fleece cinch had that, that backing on the D-ring, so it padded that contact between the D and the horse's rib. And then eventually I said, it's really not even the fleece because you can do that. Um, I, I don't necessarily like nylon or neoprene to a horse's side, but I, I do like the felt cinches, and they're reinforced with nylon on the outside. But the whole deal is having that D-ring protected. Now you can slide a little fleece or, or um, you know, they, they make little covers that go there, but I've never really had much luck with them. So that was an aha moment 50 years into riding that I never, I was more into, oh, pretty mohair, hang a horsehair tassel on it, looks ranchy, instead of, you know, really paying attention to the horse. So we start with good equipment, and the first hour of our clinic is going through a little bit of saddle fit, just checking it out, seeing what kind of cinch they're using to use a back cinch or not, the um, hobble between the back cinch and front cinch, we like to shorten that up to about three inches. So when you do use your leg back in that horse's um, flank area that you're not kicking the cinch. We check out um, the fit of the seat to the, to the rider and the fit of the saddle to the horse. For sure, and we've got to take a break, get this program paid for. Let's do that. But we'll be back with more from Sharon Camarillo in just a moment. You're listening to The Horseman's Corner. Do you need help with anything website-related? Hale Multimedia has been in the business of helping others for over 20 years. Please give us a call at 940-386-1806 or ding us at 940-224-6315. Or visit HaleMultimedia.com. Anything website related, we're here to help you. That's HaleMultimedia.com. Welcome back. I'm Howard Hale, but let's continue with Sharon Camarillo. Sharon, you were talking about saddle fit, but where do you go from there? But it all starts in your feet. So number one and most important, it starts with stirrups and a good flat stirrup. Um, in today's world, there's several options. We do design with uh, straight-time stirrups, uh, a, a slanted, canted, we really call it stirrup, that when that stirrup is, um, when your feet are fit parallel to the horse's side, we say toes t- towards your horse's nose, 
that that stirrup is absolutely flat. And regardless, you know, the stirrups we've all grown up with, those, you know, nice rawhide laced wooden stirrups, when you put your foot in a stirrup, your toes to the horse's nose, that stirrup is always longer on the inside, higher on the outside. Hence, when you're working your horses and you get off and you feel like a bow-legged cowboy and your hips and your knees and your ankles, if you've got a flat stirrup, you, you completely take that stress off of those joints. So it starts with the stirrup, then we put your body position alignment with the heel under the pelvis and the pelvis under the, under the shoulder, shoulder under the ear. So it really takes a rider getting that mind in the game, paying attention to condition, nutrition, training, retraining, resensitizing, um, how they sit on a horse, how they prepare their two preparatory commands before they get a result. And it, it takes all of that plus equipment to have a good outcome. Now, do you have to do all that? Every rarely, all of a sudden, and I've been outrun all over the country by this little girl on a half Welch pony that just all of a sudden the horse loves her and regardless, they run and they can certainly clock. But... I think what we're doing, Howard, is maximizing the possibility of success. You talked about the saddle, and of course you talked a little bit about the stirrups, and that's something that we don't think of, but that, the way you explained it, that is very important. But let's go, before the saddle, you got to have a saddle pad. Talk about that a little bit. What are you looking for there, Sharon? Howard, Okay. Real quick, on back on the stirrups because it's so important. That's one area, and I'm a saddle designer, and I work for a fantastic manufacturer, a reinsman, that we really care about the horse and the rider. But, you know, that's the one area that a manufacturer can cheapen the retail price of the saddle is by putting on an imported, and what we see in barrel racing, like a two-inch little aluminum stirrup, they're narrow. You, you don't have flexibility in placing your foot for balance. They're not ergonomically uh, balanced. And so, you know, when you spend three or four or 5000 or 12000 on a saddle, you want to make sure that that stirrup is what you want. You may have to take the stirrup that came on the saddle, put it in the yard sale, and then invest in another, another a more balanced stirrup. The pad then... You know, we talk about uh, semi-quarter horse bars, full-quarter horse bars, and um, the better the fit of the saddle, the less pad you need. And I always, I just like to go back to good, basic, 100% felt, which wicks the moisture off the horse's back and, and pads that saddle against the horse's back. But, you know, if you have a great fitting saddle, you don't need much padding. You can have a a nice little wool Navajo, or you can have a, a half-inch or a three-quarter-inch wool pad. Um, we look when we're going through saddle fit. You know, one area that riders don't look at is not at the uh, gullet, but down through that hole behind the swell, underneath the rider's seat, you know, to reach down in there and see if that bar is resting right square on that horse's spine, we see it a lot. And so that tree may be too wide for that horse. 
And an inch pad often can lift that saddle up off that, that pressure point on a horse. The bottom line is when you're saddling your horse every morning, you want to know what neutral is. You want to brush that back. You want to make sure your pads are clean. There's no buildup of hair. Um, every couple weeks, run your hand down that fleece lining of your saddle and make sure there's no screws or staples sticking out that may be making your horse sore, flinchy. Check your billets. Do I need to replace them? We always like to use leather billets because they give, so that allows the horse to expand that rib cage, not nylon. Check your, um, uh, your blevins buckles on your stirrup leathers. Just make a once-over when you're saddling instead of just saddling blindly. And if there's something that needs to be traded out or repaired or replaced, put it in your, on your checklist. Then when you're unsaddling your horse, that's the time to look for dry spots, rubbed hairs, um, soreness when you're brushing that horse's back off. I always like to use just a little alcohol and water or liniment on my horse's back as I brush off that sweat. And, uh, you know, you're a good fitting saddle with the right pad when you pull it off should have an even sweat pattern. If you see white hair starting in an area up on that spine, pretty pretty confident that it's a pressure point. And when your horses quit working, when they're switching their tail, when they're grumpy, when their ears watch their ears, uh, you can you need to listen to that horse. He's trying to tell you something, and a lot of times you can fix it by just paying attention to the quality of equipment. It's not how much you pay for it. It's really the fit, um, how it sits on that horse's back, the type of pad you're using, and um, so it's a big picture item. But it's just, I say, said it earlier, I'm going to say it again. When you're around your horse, when you walk to the stall or the pasture to catch him, that, when you walk up there, that's when you need to put your mind in the game. Okay, Sharon, let's talk a little bit more about, you said you've been designing saddles for, several years, and I assume things have changed over the years to some degree. But in your mind, what goes into a good saddle? What are we, what what are you, the saddles that you've designed, what features do you have in there that maybe uh, that you think are really important? Oh, Howard, thank you. Uh, I go back a long time. My goal in life is to get wise, and I'm still working on that. And when I started out with court saddlery back in the 70s, um, I had the opportunity to be the first to put a four-inch cannel on the back of a saddle, which when you leave a box or when you leave a barrel, the balanced saddle is going to help your body stay balanced where you're not always having to hang on the saddle horn to keep your body balanced. You need to have your feet underneath your hips so you're riding your feet, balanced from your feet up. So I, um, I was really frustrated as a younger barrel racing, barrel racer, national finalist, um, with the saddle that I'd been riding because I didn't know the difference. It was light, and it was a barrel racing saddle. It was a forward-hung fender. It was uh, flimsy leather. It uh, had a, probably a three-inch cantle on it a forward sloping swell, didn't do much as a tool to help me stay on my horse's back. And I 
but I was a roper also. So when I used my roping saddle, I felt like I was better balanced on my horse's back. So one day I was frustrated, and I pulled my barrel racing saddle off, and I said, I'm riding my roping saddle. That's, that's the alternative that I had. And I, I'd had a trophy roping saddle, but it was really on a Buster Welch tree. So a lot of things going on there. The swell was straighter up and down. So that's going to help me going into a barrel or following a calf uh, to help me, my pelvis, help me sit back, ride the hind end of the horse forward. The cantle on the roping saddle was still lower, maybe two and a half, three inches. But the seat was flat, and I had a lot of close contact. The fenders were hung directly underneath my seat. So then as my name got around, I had the opportunity to design saddles for court saddlery, which was a four-generation saddle family out of Bryan, Texas. And um, so I, I said, okay, let's start with a Buster Welch tree because the swell is straighter, let's, and it's close contact, let's make the seat a little tighter because my 15-inch roper was way too big, so we put a 14-inch seat in it. And when that, when that saddle came, I thought, oh, my God, it had a 4-inch cantle. And I said, this is a bronc-riding saddle. What? This is ridiculous. So I thought, oh, my word. So I took that saddle, put it on my horse, it, got in a seat, felt good, thought this cantle was ridiculous, went to the arena, rode a couple of days, and just get the saddle broken in. And then I made a run on it. And what I felt like was a tennis ball hitting the cantle, which threw me to the swell, which threw me back to the cantle, and I just felt like a windsock. I mean, bump, 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 front, back, front, back. And so then I started softening my pelvis, riding in the seat area of the saddle, good weight in my stirrups, applying the little that I didn't, that I, that I knew, not enough to really put two and two together. But I got to where I loved that four-inch kennel. And, of course, my peers, what is that you're riding? And pretty soon they're ordering those saddles. And at one time, the court saddles were the best-selling saddles, barrel racing saddles, and roping saddles in the country. And one of the reasons that we made a big difference was the accident of putting the inside of Jimmy Cord, I guess, putting the four-inch cantle on a barrel racer. Sure, and this be a heck of a time for us to take another break. It's about time to do so, so let's get that done. But stay with us, folks, because I've got a lot more from Sharon Camarillo. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to The Horseman's Corner. Do you need help with anything website-related? Hale Multimedia has been in the business of helping others for over 20 years. Please give us a call at 940-386-1806 or ding us at 940-224-6315 or visit halemultimedia.com. Anything website-related, we're here to help you. That's HaleMultimedia.com. Well, here we are on the second half of today's program. I'm Howard Hale, host of the Horseman's Corner. Let's continue with Sharon Camarillo. Sharon, talk a little bit more about the saddles. Pick up where you left off, will you? The 
saddles fit a lot of horses. I don't expect any one tree to fit every horse. Uh, and even the regions. You know, you go into the northwest, the backs of the horses are different than what we see in Montana and those areas. And again, different from in the south, in Texas. Jumping back another step is looking at the conformation of a horse. And early on, oh, look at his papers. Oh, he's so cute. I love his color. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna, he's going to make a barrel horse. Well, today, the bloodlines have gotten so scientific. I think it improves the odds of having those winning horses. But now the first thing I look at when I walk up to a horse is his back. And if he doesn't have a little bit of wither and a pretty flat back, not a lot of sway to it, um, I, I don't look any further. I mean, yes, maybe he has a beautiful mane and tail, which is very important to me. And maybe he has a big brown soft eye, which is important to me. And maybe he has straight legs and good feet, which is all important to me. But I know from experience over all these years that that round back, no wither, is always going to be a challenge to fit, regardless of the pad, regardless of the tree semi-full. And, and I'm, I'm going to leave our listeners with this insight. You know, everybody in today's world, we've been trained, oh, you know, a wide gullet and a wide tree, but that's not necessarily. We, we, have, a, we have two horses here which really um, will explain this challenge, this issue. Um, so one horse is 15 hands tall, stocky, um, and the other horse is 16-1, probably weighs 1,300 pounds. The shorter one maybe weighs 1,150. The shorter horse requires a full quarter horse bar, and we usually stay around a seven-inch gullet. The big, strong, heavy horse requires a, a regular tree, which is more on the semi-quarter horse um, concept. And what we found out is how rapidly does your horse's back ribcage spring. And the wider that ribcage up high, coming off the rithers, What's the angle of that spring is going to dictate whether it's a regular or a wide tree. Sharon, what are some of the changes you made from that first quartz saddle that you designed? Well, you know, um, kudos to quartz and thank you to Jimmy Court for, you know, I was with them for 40 years. They had a fire and they were not able to really recover from the fire, burnt their entire building in Bryan, Texas down. So during that 40 years, I uh, designed bits and pads and leather uh, goods for Rainsman Equestrian products. They were based in Cleveland, Tennessee, and actually Bob Brandon and Glenn Taylor were from the Trammel Company. They opened their own company, Rainsman, and they hired me as an influential or as an endorsee. So I'd been with them for 15-ish years. Rainsman was getting in the saddle uh, business, and uh, I said... I, you, I cannot design saddles for you. I work for court saddlery. Uh, in the meantime, Rainsman was brought, bought out by Circle Y. And uh, Mr. Steve Tucker said, we'd like to have you 
design saddles for us. And for several years I said, I cannot design, will not leave court saddlery. But I, we came to a uh, agreement that I would help with the design of their saddles, but they couldn't use Sharon Camarillo, and they couldn't use my picture, but they could use my daughter, Stormy. So Stormy got active in helping us put together Team Camarillo Saddle, and uh, it's been very successful with Rainsman. And then, as fate has it, when Quartz went out of business, I now design the Sharon Camarillo, the Team Camarillo with Stormy. We have a ladies roper and a ladies all around. So we have uh, actually five different types of saddles. Um, things that have changed when I when I went to work for Rainsman, I said number one, I want to use my same tree company that I've been using. They said absolutely. Number two, I want to use Herman Oak leather that I've been using. And number three, I want just a natural oil finish. I don't want a shiny finish on, on these saddles. I want them to look like working using saddles. When Rainsman gave me the tour of their factory, they took me to pre their precision trees. They hand make their trees from scratch. They're mitered. They don't have staples. They uh, are pegged, and they're absolutely technically placed together. So if you know a saddle, there's actually four pieces of wood, a left bar, a right bar, a front swell, a back cantle. So the bars have to be parallel at the right angle, etc., for whatever the, the, the type of saddle they're making. The, the swell obviously has to be perfectly placed, the cantle perfectly placed. And if anything is a quarter-ish inch off, you're going to have one side of your saddle pull farther forward. You're going to think, well, gosh, I can't keep my legs under my saddle. So uh, when I saw how they made their precision trees, I said, okay, I would like to have a precision tree underneath my saddle. So we changed there. Number two, they took me through their leather options. And um, I said, the one thing I want in the leather that we're using is I want it a little thinner. It's about a 14-ounce leather, and the great thing about court saddles, they maintain their resale value, but doggone it, it takes you months to break them in because they're a little thicker leather and heavier. So they showed me Wicket and Craig, and that's a over a 100-year-old processing plant in, I think it's Kansas City, Missouri. Um, and it was, uh, they have different thicknesses, of course, of, of hides, but it had a really good snap to it. So I said, I'd like to maybe try my saddles with the Wicked Craig. And number three, they got a nice oil on the finish. They do a great tooling job. What's changed is now we have an easy option between a full or a wide tree. We have an easy option from a 13-inch seat and half-inch increments all the way up to a 16-inch. Um, they do a great job in Yoakum, Texas. And um, I, I can't be happier. I always felt like, you know, you get a new saddle, you order it in your mind, you're hoping that whoever you ordered it with understands your mind and what you're saying. When that saddle box comes, it's like Christmas. Can't wait to get into it. And the first thought of, or your first sight of the saddle is not what I ordered. 
And I've been so excited the last several years with Rainsman. When I open the box or a customer's box and I see the saddle, I'm, I'm thrilled at what they're getting done. They just are really craftsmen. And Steve Tucker pays a lot of attention to trail riding saddles, barrel racing saddles, roping saddles. I'm assuming then that saddle comes with the kind of stirrup you were talking about earlier. My saddles, there, there is an option, but I like to eliminate that option. And, um, you know, because you put a saddle on the horse's back, my goal is I want it to plop. I don't want it to, you know, have to be broken in too long. After a ride or two, the Rainsman saddles with the little thinner leather and the good-fitting trees really conform to a horse's back. And I have to say, this, these new trees and bars that we're using, I have yet to find a horse that they don't fit. Uh, the majority of horses, we usually order a wide tree, and if it's a little wide on a horse, we go with a one-inch pad. But if it fits just right, we go with a three-quarter inch felt pad. Uh, and then the second thing, when you step up in that saddle, I want that seat to place you where you need to be in a balanced rider's position. And I want I want you to feel, feel like, oh, my gosh, this saddle feels great. But the secret is it starts with stirrup. So we can keep the tr- traditional stirrups on that saddle but it's not going to give you that home court advantage that the that the canted stirrups do. So you haven't really I'm hot air, aren't I, Howard? No, uh, because this is <laughs> this is very this is very interesting because I think I think sometimes people don't pay enough attention to some of the some of the small things that that uh, they see. Gosh, the saddle's pretty. But that's not necessarily what you need. Okay, let's talk about another thing. Where do you like to place that cinch? How do you rig your saddles? So uh, we have a couple of cinch options. Uh, Team Camarillo comes with uh, an in-skirt single rigging and a half billet on the offside. I find personally, I like what we call a three-way rigging plate where you can cinch in front, back, or Really, I like to have even, so it's, a, it's two hoops. So the front of the, of the leather billet goes through the front ring. You can put it in the back, back depending on the horse's conformation, but we start in the front. We go to the D-ring on the cinch. We go to the back, and then we go straight up to the billet. So there's not a lot of leather between the um, rider's leg and, and the side of the horse, a good close contact. So that's the rigging I like. Usually a 7 eighths is where I want it, but you have options on that three-way rigging. And I'm going to again say the leather billet. The three-way rigging comes with a double billet. So it's, a, it's a, a left and right are basically the same, and it just helps you. Uh, yeah, man, it just helps that saddle fit. But then before I ever cinch it up, I want to look down, and I want to... Find that horse's elbow, and I want to put my little finger at his elbow, and I want to put my thumb area, like four fingers, between the elbow and where the front of the cinch is. So I don't want it thrown way up on his withers. I want to open those withers so there's a lot of uh, flexibility, helps increase that stride, 
and I don't want his elbow and skin pinching between the elbow and the cinch. So I always want him, and that's one thing we do in our clinics right off the bat. We need to bring your saddle back. You've got it cinched a little bit too far forward, and we look at the cinch, and probably like those cinches, not way up in the rib, but uh, between the rib and the elbow. There's kind of a halfway point that you can visualize. So many times riders have cinches too short or too long. They don't think about that. There's that detail. You know, success is truly in the details, Howard. Let's take our last break of the day, Sharon, but stay with us, folks, because Sharon's got a lot more to share with you in a moment. You're listening to the Horseman's Corner. I just want to remind you again, if you miss a Horseman's Corner program, you can always pick it up by going on the web and going to horsemanscorner.com. That's one of the great websites that we have at Hale Broadcasting, horsemanscorner.com. New content six days a week and good place to find horses to buy, some good ones there, sales, a lot of information about horses. Horsemanscorner.com, good place for you to visit. Why don't you do it today? Do you need help with anything website-related? Hale Multimedia has been in the business of helping others for over 20 years. Please give us a call at 940-386-1806 or ding us at 940-224-6315 or visit hailmultimedia.com. Anything website-related, we're here to help you. That's hailmultimedia.com. Welcome back. Let's continue with Sharon Camarillo. Sharon, talking about cinches, gosh, there's a lot of difference in length, say 28 to 36. Uh, do we have to have a lot of different cinches around? Very rarely, you know, do we use a 36. Our common cinches are 30 to 32, even on big horses. And I think maybe it's because our skirts are a little full on our saddles. So the, you know, the rigging itself is a little lower uh, it's not a drop rigging, but it's just a little lower because the skirts are full. So there's not as much dif- distance between the, the horse's elbow, maybe, and the, the, t- the saddle skirt. When we have a new horse here, we're helping somebody with a horse, or we have a new saddle, or we have a new horse. It really takes us a couple of weeks to really seat the saddle. Do we want wide or, or a semi? Do we want three-quarter inch or a full-inch wool felt pad? So after each ride, we're kind of addressing the cinch and how the saddle fits, and we're making those changes. So all of a sudden, that horse has his saddle. But rarely do we go to a 34. And and we have one horse here that, like I say, weighs about 1,300-plus. He's a big guy, 16'1". Looks like a big you know, kind of a big driftwood. He's he's not driftwood, but he looks like a driftwood horse, and I think he's in a 32-inch cinch. Yeah, I mean, if you had an assortment of cinches, that, you know, which I'm lucky enough to have huh, lots of equipment and uh, lots of options because I'm a designer of equipment, and we prototype everything that we design. Rarely do we ever go to a 34-inch cinch, and I personally like that uh, roper cinch. The more distribution of pressure, the better. And let's talk about the breast collar just a little bit. You know, in, in our event, it's about time. I 
unfortunately. I mean, when it all boils down and you nutrition, condition, you buy bloodlines you like, you put the time in the training, it all boils down to the final judge stopwatch. And some horses just, you know, whatever they do, they still clock a fast time. And I think part of that is how quick they can get into a full stride. So that stride, especially coming off that third barrel to where you cross your finish line, is where so many barrel races are won and lost. And you can really see that, you know, with the top 15 at the National Finals Rodeo, where on the electric eye they get to the third barrel times are basically the same, and all of a sudden they're three or four or five tenths faster when, they, when, the, when the clock stops. And I think that stride. So, A, I want to give a horse every opportunity to utilize his stride. So I want freedom of movement in the shoulder. So I make a cut-back pad where each shoulder can move independently of the other. And then in the back, that pad is also cut up to open the hip. So the left, right hind leg has freedom of movement. Um, the breast collar, I don't want pressure across that horse's uh, shoulder that may shorten that stride an inch. If there's 10 strides going to the first barrel, 15, 12 strides going to the second, another maybe 14 strides going to the third, and then what, 20 strides coming home depending on the size of the course. And we're shortening that horse's stride one inch, and we're running at a thousandth of a second on an electric eye. Details matter. So I want to make sure that that breast collar lies where the neck connects to the shoulder. So there's a little groove there. So that brings the breast collar off the point of the horse's shoulder and, and picks it up. So there's a little freedom of movement. And also, I want the center of that breast collar lowered to the breastplate of that horse. I don't want it pulling against the uh, esophagus, which could walk off some of the air that that horse needs. Again, details matter from the breast collar to the stirrups, from the cinch to the back cinch, from the tree to the kennel to the swell. all makes a difference. Were you talking about hundreds of a second or maybe thousands of a second? I don't know how fine they get that timing down to, but all those little things do matter a lot. They do, you know, and it's amazing to me, you know, when we're in the Thomas and Mac in Las Vegas, it's a shorter course, and a uh, 14-second run is a nice run, but my word, those horses are getting down in the 13s, 13.6, and so if we're timing in, in a in a thousandth, it would be a 13-second, um, a tenth, a hundredth, and then a thousandth, so it could be 13.062, and to tie with faster than a blink of an eye or a snap of a finger, faster than you can think. And, you know, it's common to see a tie or to be outrun by a hundredth of a second. So, I mean, you know, I guess, Howard, you know, I'm, I'm getting wiser. I'm putting the twos and twos together. They're starting to equal four. But when somebody comes and, you know, wants to start a lesson or a clinic, you know, I can almost say in 15 years we'll talk about this because it's going to take you that long to kind of get vested in, you know, the, the whole concept. Not that they can't just jump in and go 
play because I say, go play, go have fun. You know, when you get ready for the details, we'll start the process. But um, details matter. Don't get bogged down in the minutiae. But, um, you know, there's some common sense things, you know, good saddle fit, good rider position. You know, a horse has to have some good feet underneath him. Never helps a good pedigree. That helps keep your investment together. And it also tells you, you know, the, the strength of the bloodlines that you're buying. So you probably don't want to buy a Belgian or a half Belgian or a, you know, Missouri, Missouri cart horse or a barrel horse, but... You know, you may not want to put a little hot bread, dash to fame thoroughbred in front of a buggy. I don't know. You know, what I'm saying is is you need to buy the horse for the event or the use that, that you're using them for. And I'm reading a book now that's kind of interesting, um, and it really brought to mind. It makes me emotional to even think about it, but... Um, the depth that the horse has been involved in the history of civilization and the abuse that those horses have taken, and they continue to take just out of ignorance. They're trying to talk to us. We've got to pay attention to what they're saying when they're sore. But can you imagine pulling a wagon across the hot, dusty, barren prairies to go with the western migration to pull stumps out of ground, to till ground, to ride to town, the importance of those horses. And today, I think we honor horses maybe more than we ever have because they're kind of pets, and there's so much research out there, and again, minutia. But uh, it's overwhelming the, the uh, contribution that the horses have made to our history. Let's go back to the saddles for just a second. Now, you're a bell racer designing saddles uh, for females, let's uh, assume, but do many uh, men buy the Sharon Camarillo saddles? It's interesting. I've had so many husbands and fellows, oh my God, we love your saddle. We start our colts in your saddle. We ride feedlots in the saddle. The seats are comfortable. We got a deep, secure seat on young horses, which made me at one time take my name, Sharon, off Sharon Camarillo saddles, we just called them Camarillos. And and so on the on the billet, we didn't put the logo Sharon Camarillo, we just put Camarillo because we were seeing that the guys were taking those billets off because they didn't want people to think they're riding a woman's saddle, which is funny. Uh, but, Howard, I've never really called my saddles barrel racing saddles. Um, I want to ride with my cutter friends. I want to walk up and, you know, if a barrel race is with a, with a rain horse contest, I want to ride up there. I don't want to be called out as a barrel racer. I want good equipment, um, nice design, good fit, happy horse. And um, so I've always put a little fuller skirt on them. I like an 8-inch width on my fenders because it helps me keep my feet underneath me at a high rate of speed, making three quick changes of direction on three barrels. And I think that eight-inch fender helps you. It's a tool. The saddle needs to help me ride where I can ride both sides of my horse in consistent position. 
a doggone it, Sharon. We've run out of time, but this has really been interesting. Covered <laughs> covered some ground that I didn't intend to cover when we started this, but that's it was really interesting. And thanks for your input. I really appreciate it. Well, Howard, thank you. You know, I have a podcast, and we just celebrated our 40th podcast. It's called Fun and Fast Times. You can get it on iTunes, or you can go to SharonCamarillo.com and just click on it. I cover a lot of different topics, but when we covered our 40th podcast, like you've probably said, there's been a lot of hot air between number one podcast and number 40, and thank you for having me on your show, Howard. Well, that's it for today's edition of the Horseman's Corner. I'm Howard Hale, host of the program. Thanks for being along, and I'll close it out by saying may God bless, and I'll see you next week, same time, same place.